0: Printing money is a lot like, you know, when you were a kid riding a bike down a hill and you got went faster and faster and faster and pretty soon your front tire started to wobble because it was a little faster than you can handle. And every time you tried to correct it, your next correction got bigger and you know what I'm talking about, right? Bigger and bigger and bigger. And pretty soon you're making these huge corrections and then all of a sudden you you flip over your handlebars and wipe out, right? That's the idea is we print a little bit and then we have to print more and then we we have to print more and we have to print more and we have to print more. Welcome to the Rise Up Live Free podcast, where we're going to be giving you the exact blueprint to reach financial freedom in 10 years or less, regardless of your age, your income, or your experience. You see, we believe that 97% of traditional financial advice is dangerous, misleading, or outright wrong. And we're here to empower you on how you can use money and cash flow as a tool to create, build, and live a life you love now, rather than having to wait until you're 65. If you're ready to take immediate action, join us over at cashflowtactics.com forward slash podcast. Welcome back, Rise Up Live Free podcast listeners. This is an exciting, very important, and very confusing at times or at least a lot of misinformation out there about this topic. And Jimmy and I are excited to be on the mic with you guys today, breaking down uh, some of the concepts. But Jimmy, this concept is rot with poopy pants and I wish it should be this way. And it's just not fair. Are we going to leave everybody in a lurch with the result of this conversation is, it's just not fair? Or are they going to be able to do something with it at the end of the day?
1: You will leave this podcast. You will go get your food storage and you will go to your bunker right after that.
0: <laughs> or you will write your congressman and demand that something change. Yes.
1: Okay. You we- will go buy a Gadsden flag and you will start protesting. All right. So we're going to take some action. You will s- solve this pl- problem politically. Yes. Because <laughs> that's how we
0: operate. All right, Jimmy, welcome to the podcast let's dive in. The topic today is inflation. I'm going to throw out a couple numbers. I'm going to talk to you guys about why we decided to bring this up. Okay. As of the last kind of counting that I was able to find on the interwebs, so far during the COVID pandemic, the Federal Reserve has printed, where did I get the number? An estimated $3.38 trillion. Okay. Nice. If you're curious as to how much money that is, Google how much is a trillion dollars and they put it in a visualization of just how much money this is. But the crazy part about it is, if you've been in this world with us for any length of time, printing money, stimulus, monetary policy is not a new thing uh, and the government's been at this game since 1971, but in just 2020, in less than one year, The Federal Reserve is added. Uh, Can I actually,
1: you, that was actually a historical inaccuracy, Bradley. Um, The first time uh, massive money printing happened was in 1789. Uh, The continental dollar collapsed. The next time was in 1860 when we went off to greenbacks. And then finally, the link between gold and the dollar was finally severed by 1973. Little history moment for you.
0: There you go. So this is not the first time governments have tried to print money, right? Our currency as it exists, yes, since 1971, 1973.
1: Actually started it in China
0: 1,500 years ago. I actually used to, before I put this nice thing up, had an array of, of uh, a bunch of printed, you know, de- deflated currencies that are inflated currencies, I guess, destroyed currencies from all over the world. This happened on every single continent, okay? But this year alone, inside the COVID pandemic, the government has added 18%, almost 20% to the monetary base. So of all the money that's ever been printed, 20% of it landed in 2020. And now that's got people concerned. So we're going to dive in. If if it doesn't have you concerned, it should, but we're going to talk about all of this. So Jimmy, before we do this, let's back up, okay? Let's define inflation for a second to make sure everybody is, is really clear on what's going on because this is where the confusion with inflation starts, okay? Is yeah. terms and definitions matter. So what, does, what do politicians, what do financial advisors, and uh, what do economists, general, regular, run-of-the-mill economists, when they talk about inflation, what are they talking about?
1: And I'm going to use my uh, financial advisor because let's imagine, let's imagine we're talking belly to belly, and I'm going to discuss your financial plan with you. Yes. And you, so ask your question like you're about to retire, and then ask your question like that, and then I'll be the financial planner. So, Mr. Goldfish, I've worked hard and saved and done every single thing
0: I was ever told to do. I put off all of my hopes and dreams, and I'm getting knocking on the door to where I can actually enjoy a little bit of my time and money that I've worked so hard to save, but the government has printed a lot of money. I'm curious, how's that going to impact my retirement?
1: Well, Bradley, first of all, you know, kudos to you for living the American dream. Way to go, Brad, way to go. Now, you you know, the Fed has been dealing with inflation for a long time. They got it under control. They, you know, nothing ever bad happens with money printing. Like just, you know, let's put this money in your account. You go golfing. And then magically it'll stay there and and you'll be good to go. Don't worry. You know, it's just, it's been solved. Don't worry about it. You know, inflation is just prices rising. It's not that big a deal.
0: And, and everything goes up together and the federal reserve has targets. And if it ever starts to get out of hand, they have all the levers they need to be able to put it right back where it is. This is not something that in today's economy needs to be worried about,
1: right? Yeah. And I mean, the fed's never been wrong. 2008. Uh, 1976, 1960, 1929, nineteen twenty nine, two thousand one. Anywho, any <gasps> <laughs> anywho. So the the conventional definition of inflation is prices of consumer goods rising. Yeah, they don't mention security prices, necessarily. They don't mention uh asset prices yep. either. It's but it's a real thing. It's just the consumer price index. Okay, so
0: and that's just a right. a basket of Things Americans buy in their everyday life. How much does it cost to do that? And now there's all these adjusted ones that leave out, you know, energy and they leave out housing and they leave, you know, not very important things that we use all the time. So we don't need to follow those along. But it's just tracking how many dollars it takes to put food on the table and and live your everyday life. It'd be like
1: being a baseball player and you get to eliminate every time, let's say you're a left handed hitter, every time you fly out to the right fielder. You okay, get to it. just erase those from that, the stats.
0: That wouldn't count, right? That, that that doesn't matter. Yeah. We're not we're not gonna look at that one. Yeah. Okay. So some, that's
1: some bean counter said I cannot count that. Th-
0: so that's what that's what everybody believes inflation is and that's what they're worried about. Okay. But just like yep. just like anything, if we're only focused on symptoms, do we receive information in time to really do much about it?
1: No. No.
0: So rising prices are part of the inflation conversation, but they not are not inflation themselves. That would be like saying, Jimmy, if you had the flu, which doesn't exist anymore apparently, but if you had the flu, no one says Jimmy is sick with a fever, right? Like that's not right. the thing making you sick, but they'd say, oh, Jimmy has a fever. Maybe we should see what's going on. And then we would identify that you might have influenza or you might be sick with something else, right? The fever is the the symptom of the underlying cause. So from our angle, and there's actually, as crazy as this sounds, a lot of people don't realize this, this next definition of inflation really gets tossed out the window as quackery and and not enlightened economics. But somebody won the Nobel Prize that, that discussed this. So it's just been swept under the rug. It's not that it's not credible. It's not that it's not been highly researched. It's not that it's been completely proven to the point that a Nobel prize was awarded in association with it. It's just that it's not convenient anymore and it's been swept under the rug. So what is the Austrian ec- economics definition of inflation? And arguably, this is the same one that people like Peter Schiff use. It's the same ones that people like Ray Dalio use. Like, What is the, the, the true definition of the cause of price prices rising?
1: so more currency more dollars chasing the same amount of goods okay and more dollars come from them being the, the created presses at the
0: government yep and it's interesting when we look at it from that angle there's an interesting phenomenon that happened in the 1500s back in spain okay spain discovered the new world and they sent ships out and they were very mercantilist and they took over other countries and extracted their gold and brought that back home and at first, everybody felt super wealthy and everything was wonderful because we had all this, this gold and we were going to be wealthy. But it actually collapsed the Spanish economy because, in, because price inflation ran away. So it's not just paper dollars. Any surge in money or currency that you're trading with without a proportional increase in goods leads to there's the same amount, there's the same amount of stuff to buy but there's more dollars or more currency or more yen or more ounces of gold out in the world to, to buy the same number of things. So, Jimmy, let's use this example. I'm wearing-
1: my- well, let's, uh, well, let's do an example of, let's say you were a, a rich Spaniard in 1550, right? And so all this gold's coming in from the new world and then you start selling off parcels of land, Right. And you're saying to yourself, I'm like, every year, another acre of land gets more and more valuable. Like I bought it for, cause they actually use dollars then, um, they, I bought it for a hundred dollars and next year I'm selling it for 110. And then the year after that, 120. So on paper, it looks like you're getting rich cause your bid ass spread is going up, right? Yep. But the problem is this guy's getting his confidence up that he's a baller, but so every year it's a 10%, we just, this example, it's a 10% year on year price increase, but everything this guy's buying has also increasing 10%. But since he thinks he's a baller, he's buying more things at an increased 10% rate. And he's actually net net losing, losing money are becoming less wealthy. And
0: boy, when we get into the tax element of this, this is going to be fun. Okay. So another yeah. way that this plays out, Jimmy, let's really simplify the economy. It's just me and you and my beloved cash flow tactic sweatshirt that I'm wearing today. That's it. That's, that's the yep. entire economy, okay? And you have $5 and I have $5. How much is the sweatshirt going to be priced? Like if we were- Probably $5, right? Because that's all that you have. Yeah. And it's the only thing that you can buy. And so we both have $5 that we could bid on that sweatshirt. It, it can't sell for any more than five bucks. Right? Yep. But now all of a sudden, what if you had $10 in your account and I had $10 in my account and there was still just one sweatshirt? What are we going to bid the sweatshirt up for one of us? Because if, if we both well, want man, it, you're going to start at five and then I'm going to say, well, I'll pay six. And you'll say, well, I'll pay seven. And I'll say, well, I'll pay yep. eight, nine, 10. It's going to sell for 10 bucks.
1: Now, well, the better, I think the better part of the story, the analogy is we're on a desert island doing this, right? Yeah. Caruso Economics. Yes but some magical helicopter flies in and drops us both another $5 bill.
0: Yes, that's what I meant. Yeah, so now that happens, right? We just, we wake up one morning and there's $10 in our account instead of five, okay? And you can break it down even simpler. Let's say it's coconuts, right? Because we're on a desert island, we don't have dollars. we're, We're using coconuts now. If you have five coconuts and I have five coconuts, we can bid the price for the sweatshirt up to five coconuts and that's it. But if we woke up one day and somebody had added five coconuts to both of our holes in the ground where we kept them, then again, now now you're going to look at it and say, well, I'll pay six and then I'll pay seven and you'll pay eight and I'll pay nine and you'll pay 10 and you'll get the sweatshirt. Now it's 10. But nobody's yeah. better off. Nobody's Nothing new got created because we measure better off by how many sweatshirts we actually have, how warm we get to stay at night. That's the yep. quality. That's the better off part are the goods and services being provided in the economy not how we're measuring them, okay? Yep. So That's yep. The, the definition of inflation that we're going to be looking at. And this is why the government printing a lot of money all at once starts to be concerning because now there's 3.38 trillion more dollars in the economy than there was just 12 months ago. But is there, are there more goods and services?
1: Well, yeah, the humans are still waking up every day and producing more. Um, but did they, are we producing
0: 20% more than we were a year no, ago? No.
1: Not even close. No. Right? And then let me give the counter argument for why. So there is the opposite though, Brad, that more value, more and more value is being produced and there's not enough currency to uh, grease the skids for trade. And this actually happened in the United States or it pretty much the early part of the 1800s the, with, there's no doubt the entire American continent was getting wealthier but they had no specie, they had no hard metal to trade with. So, it, you know, the pendulum can swing too far the other way, and we're not like, uh, you know, you might be, but I'm not a complete gold miser being like, we should still be on the gold standard, and I don't care if there's not enough specie to trade. You, That's how we used to do it, and you sit and you like it, right? <laughs> I'm not Grumpy Old Man from Saturday Night Live. But I do believe when you drop 20% of new currency into the economy, uh, that, you know, here... And then here's our core our uh disclaimer like this has never been tried anymore. So let's say we were to predict something and we got right, you know, there would be a lot of luck involved. Uh, so or if I look it's like it's Newton's law there's always going to be an equal and opposite reaction to anything. So my head is definitely on a swivel. Yep, so that's what we want to be looking at is now okay, so
0: what what goes wrong with inflation, right? Like what are we now Potentially worried about, and then let's come in and deal with the creamy center of this that because we now we know what inflation is let's define the other yeah. side, the extreme side of destructive inflation, and then let's talk about <clears throat> the middle and tease out the rest of the podcast. So what happens, Jimmy, when inflation runs away what's the outcome what's the consequence? Why is it bad to promote like so what? they printed three trillion dollars like the the stock market didn't crash, and like they helped us like i they're telling me, Jimmy, that because of Corona and we had to shut businesses down, we need the money to keep it. So I'm being told that this is a great thing, that finally somebody in the Federal Reserve has the courage to act, right? To quote Ben uh-huh. Bernanke. So this is good. Right. This is making it so that we don't have business cycles anymore and we don't have the, like, aren't we just avoiding the Great Depression with this?
1: Maybe. I mean, that's the theory. So what goes Uh, wrong
0: with inflation? Because here, well,
1: here was the argument with what happened with COVID is there was going to be gridlock Mm -hmm. and businesses fail, not because Nestle has a bad product, but because they're illiquid. Yeah. Cash. So what the central planners did was inject liquidity. Yep. But that's, uh, you and me are not intelligent enough. We are not all knowing enough to say what are the right amount of liquidity is. And what could have happened too is if they could have done nothing and landlords and, mortgage, and bankers and everybody would have just restructured debt and figured it out on their own. I would say that's probably what you and I would lean towards. And I, yep. I'll be the first to admit, my second quarter would have been absolutely hellacious. Yeah. That it would have sucked. The tenants that we rent
0: to used a lot of the stimulus money to pay their rent. And that, that helped, Right. But yeah. how does this drastically go wrong, right? Jimmy, you and I just finished rereading uh, what's Dalio's book called again? The Big Debt Crisis. Oh, uh, so what happened? He studied the Big Debt Crises. What happened when this went wrong?
1: So the, I would say there's, in recent history, there's two horrible examples. Hyperinflation happened in Zimbabwe and that led to a civil war. Hyperinflation led started in Germany. Created a power vacuum, and guess who stepped in? Yeah, Hitler, right? You know, then Hitler stepped in. So there, and then this is where I think the Austrians are a little too dramatic. Like that is definitely the extreme case, and has definitely happened that the current economy, entire currency collapses. So in Germany in the 1930s, people were taking um, where were we- what were they? Why? What were Their we- currency called?
0: Yeah. It was in the Weimar Republic. I I don't remember yeah. the name of the currency though. Well, whatever the currency on my was, people. Thing, but it's not there anymore.
1: Yeah, people were taking these. People were taking those dollar. We'll call them dollars, whatever their paper money was, and using them for fires because they were more. It was more. Uh, it was better for them to stay warm to just burn them than to trade them.
0: Yeah, and there's images of women rolling wheelbarrows of of cash to the store to buy a loaf of bread, right? Yeah. Because yep. We, you start this problem, printing money is a lot like, you know, when you were a kid riding a bike down a hill and you got, went faster and faster and faster and pretty soon your front tire started to wobble because it was a little faster than you can handle. And every time yeah. you tried to correct it, your next correction got bigger and you know what I'm talking about, right? Bigger and bigger and bigger. Yep. And pretty soon you're you're making these huge corrections and then all of a sudden you, you flip over your handlebars and wipe out, right? Yep. That's the idea is we print a little bit and then we have to print more and then we have to print more and we have to print more and we have to print more, to, print more to continue to keep
1: the status addiction.
0: Well, right? And yep. that there's okay. two major classes of people that get wiped out inside of inflation. We brought up the person who had saved for retirement, right? Now, if I had a million dollars and I thought that was going to be able to provide enough goods and services for me to retire on, now all of a sudden, that is effectively only $800,000 because now everybody across the entire economy has 20% more dollars and everything's going to go up in 2020. 20, so I can only buy 20% or 80% of what I had planned on. So it destroys
1: well, savers. It, yeah. Let me kind of articulate it in more of a, a meathead way. So yeah. I think maybe this will help people understand, but you had a million dollars and you figured that could take care of you for 25 years. hmm now, because of inflation, that million dollars will only uh, take care of you for eighty percent of the rest of the time you're yeah, going to so live for twenty years. So now say. you have a gap. Yep. Yeah.
0: And it's too late to do much about it because you're already old. You're already retiring. You're already. Well, exiting. you're shutting
1: it down, right?
0: Yeah. Okay. So, so savers, anybody that saved up capital, um, is hurt by that. The other group of people that are significantly hurt by that are those whose income they're not in control of their income okay typically this is the lower class but even i would argue the middle class is in the same boat as well they don't they don't get to control what they charge for their labor very much and so as asset prices rise we're seeing this right now home prices in some markets this year jumped almost magically 20% but if i'm still making the same salary because my business the, the business i work for isn't overnight that much more profitable. They're still working through the honey as... Oh, yeah. the Oh, I don't think we gave this Oh, you want to go honey. into the, the Kianelon effect? in In just a second. Yeah. Well, yeah, okay. I think it'll make this more sense. But until everything changes, the house price may rise, but my income hasn't. Now my savings, right. I saved up a down payment and I thought I was going to be able to buy a house. Now I can't because my savings aren't worth as much. And now I don't have enough income to cover the mortgage payment either. And so now I... As just earning wages. So, wage earners are also wiped out when inflation gets out of hand, right?
1: Yeah. Anybody with like a fixed income whose income is not going to be able to proportionally rise with the amount of dollars uh, that have just been thrown into the economy.
0: Okay. So, Jimmy, but why? We're we're already alluding to this point of an uneven distribution. Why, Why does this cause problems? If everybody got, if we put the money into the economy, Why didn't it fix everything or rise all at the same point? Like, why don't my investments go up and my income go up
1: and bread at the grocery
0: store all go up at the same time?
1: Because it's just impossible. That's not how it works.
0: Well, but the central planner told me that it does because money is like, they're smart and they know what they're doing and there's no possible downside to this. So why are they wrong when they're telling me, don't worry about it, this is going to help you. But look, like I'm a saver and I'm a wage earner how in the world is this like, why, why are they wrong when they're telling me that?
1: Okay. So we need to go can- into, we're going to have to, I'm going to have to put on my smart voice, right? <laughs> we're going to have to talk about an economic phenomenon called the, it's French. So I'm going to struggle to pronounce it, but it's the Cantillon effect. Um, and then I actually have Wikipedia up so we can read through it. Right. You ready for a definition? Let's do it. Okay. Uh, I'm actually on Mises.com to get this. All right. So the so-called Cantillon Effect describes the uneven expansion of the amount of money if a central bank pumps more money into the economy. The resulting increase in prices does not happen evenly. The Austrian economist Frederick Hayek compared the monetary expansion with honey. If you pour honey into a cup, it won't spread out evenly. It will clump in the middle before spreading out. So basically what that is saying is ju- well, it's kind of, we've talked about this. They're pumping capital through a straw, right? And it's going to come out like honey. It's going to concentrate in the center and then diffuse out.
0: Yep. Okay. So now we're getting into some interesting conversation. This is, if you've been tuning out, like wake back up, Pay attention again, because this is- (laughs) No one
1: ever tunes out on the Rise Up Live Free podcast. It's so riveting the entire time. This
0: is where it starts to get interesting. So, Jimmy, they can't just evenly peanut butter spread money across the economy, right? They can't just scoop a peanut butter on their knife and spread it nice and even across the bread of the economy, right? It's like- that's kind. I
1: mean, that's the inherent flaw in in central planning.
0: is Is there not? So, how does, Jimmy, the- when the the government, right? This very, very generic term of the government. How do they get money into the economy? What's the mechanic? They
1: sell. They sell treasury bonds.
0: Okay. So the government actually isn't allowed to print money. The Federal Reserve prints money, which is right. a, an independent entity. So what the Treasury does is, Treasury says we need more money in the economy, so they sell bonds. And a bond is a loan. They say. I, I want to borrow money so that we can then go do things inside of the economy and we'll pay you an interest rate and then pay you your money back later, just like any company would borrow money, just like you borrow money for a house, right? Okay, so they issue bonds and the Federal Reserve buys them and gives them dollars in exchange for it. Now the government has dollars and can go do things in the economy. And this bond
1: this is really just an IOU that they kind of pulled out of their pants. It, that's it. They just wrote. Has it. no value backing it, has nothing backing it.
0: Yeah. Dumb and dumber style. They just wrote, IOU <laughs> $100,000, right? That's a car. You might yeah. want to hold on to that one. Okay. And then now they have dollars to then go transact in the economy. And where do those dollars end up first?
1: Well, so that's the issue. Okay. You got. Well, I traded a treasury bond for a dollar. Now, how do I get the dollar, those new dollars, into the economy? Yep. And generally, they do it through, uh, they do it through lending. Yep. They have to go to the banks to then distribute the cash.
0: Yes. So now those dollars, now the the treasury bonds become the. the have you ever heard of the treasury window or the treasury rate? Those types of things. This is now the rate at which banks can get access to this new, newly created capital. And it goes to a bank next. Yep. Okay. This is why the financial sector has one of the largest lobbyist groups out there because they're really close to the printing press. Okay. It also goes out through connected companies and corporations, right? Government contracts, government contractors. Like Anytime they say, hey, we're going to rebuild a freeway. Guess who gets the money first? Yeah. The contractor goes out
1: on the freeway. Right. It also goes out through medicine and welfare payments and all this stuff. Okay. So we've
0: got to follow that trail of money, right? So it goes to a bank, but now what does a bank want? What does a bank do with it? A bank is in the business well, the, of creating loans. The bank has to lend it out to make, to make
1: their arbitrage on it. So,
0: so somebody has to come in and borrow that money, right? And usually this is generally real estate okay, or businesses now have access to capital that didn't exist before. So now it's gone to the bankers and now it's gone to those who own assets that have the ability to borrow money. And then it finally works its way down into the hands of those that are actually gonna be spending the money, okay? Kind of think about a contractor. If a contractor gets a government contract, right, it's gonna go to the business and then the business is gonna pay its employees and then it's gonna work down and that group of people is gonna have the money and then they're gonna have more money so they're gonna go buy a new car Right. And then that's going to put yep. money in, in Ford's pocket and then their employees' pocket and trickle through. But you can see how this would take time to pass through and generally disseminate through the entire economy.
1: Yeah. Okay. It, it, it would be just, you would have communism, which is socially unacceptable, thank God, on this continent, to just take a uh, peanut butter and spread it evenly and just give everybody
0: the money. Right. And the interesting yeah. part about it is that actually,
1: even though they kind of did that. <laughs> they,
0: for the first time they did with the, just the rebate check, they just sent you, like, I don't know if anybody listening just got money in your account and felt like, what did I do? I didn't do anything. They just put it there. It's A little scary. Yep. Okay. Okay. So this leads us to the, let's talk about the K-shape recovery for a second. And then we'll ask some intriguing questions. And we'll well, yeah.
1: And then the when context. do we want to get to, when do we want to get to,
0: is not that fair? Yeah. want to go there we'll now? Ask. The intriguing questions at the end. Once we've got some context around this, I think- okay. Let's do K-shape recovery because yeah. now that we know that it distributes unevenly, well, okay, what, if the government's trying to fix arguably the problems they just created by printing more money and it doesn't trickle through evenly, that means that only some people are going to benefit and then others aren't going to be able to benefit or at least not as soon. And yep. this results in what's Called a K-shaped recovery. And that's been very popularized now with COVID. It the concept has been around, and actually all recoveries are K-shaped, but it's only now been talked about. It's kind of been popularized this time that there are some people recovering very well from the initial shutdowns of COVID or the supply chain disruptions or whatever happening from it. But there are other groups like food service injuries, for example, that continue to struggle, right? We looked at some numbers the other day from an economist that we were studying some of his reports on where anybody making less than about $60,000 is still only about, they're still 30% below where they were you know prior to COVID. But those yep. making north of 60,000 and even over 100,000, we're only seeing like 5% drops in overall. So there's some groups doing well, though the line is starting to go up into the right. And there are some that are still struggling and their line is going down into the right. And that's the K
1: part yep. of this case well, recovery. What I think is kind of, I don't know what the right word is. Maybe it's interesting about COVID. It's like you had COVID, right? Uh huh. But you don't drink, you don't smoke, you leave, have a quasi vegan diet. Like you definitely live with the premise that your body's a gift and a temple, yes. right? How long did it take you to recover from COVID? Two days. Right. Now, you know, I don't, we'll say this on the Rise Up Live Free podcast because I can say whatever I want, but for sure, if you have diabetes, Covid's crushing you. If you have pre-existing condition like uh, obesity, destroying you. Yep. So, and like, COVID is a real thing. It is a scary thing. If you have these liabilities that you've been carrying around and never had any issue with, yeah. and so that like COVID hasn't affected you at all, made you stronger. But if you had these pre-existing conditions yep. and were making certain life choices. Like it definitely hurt you disproportionately to say somebody else who lived your type of style.
0: Yeah. So it's, it's not, it, it's not an all equal attack, if you will. Right. It doesn't have, right. have the same effect. So,
1: so. And and so like, of- I, I don't agree with everybody be like, oh, it's just a really bad flu. That's not true. If you're vulnerable, it's yeah. a very bad thing. Yeah. And,
0: and Josh on our team had it and he was sick for like eight days.
1: Yeah, but he's, he's watching right now, so I'll say this. But yeah, he's a millennial. And like, <laughs> he has more. If he was as to tough as about. you, he could have done it in two days, whatever. Okay. <laughs>
0: but, but even then, he's young and healthy. And he never once came to me and said, Brad, I think I'm dying. Right. He's right. like, this sucks. I don't feel well. Like, I'm, this is definitely a real thing. But he, he wasn't, he, he never felt like his life was. And
1: I just loved busting his chops because 40 Gross. loves Trump. And he's just, I'm like, dude. Trump beat it Trump's in two like days. Trump's like 70 years old. Two days. Yeah. What's going I on I beat you? it
0: in two days. What's wrong with you, man? So, yeah. Okay. So, K shaped recovery is something to be aware of. And what we're now let's get into the meaty questions of okay, the government's printing money. We, we've got uneasiness inside of the economy, and there's going to be a group of people that do well and a group of people that do not do well. Okay. Yep. Which group do you want to be in? Uh, the people doing well. The people doing well. Right, so now let's talk about if we now understand. Right? So there's 30 minutes to lay the groundwork of what to even be able to have the conversation to ask the right questions. Is that there's the takeaway from the podcast right there? You have to lay a deep enough foundation to even be able to ask the right question. Right, if you just take the questions that are given to you by your local politician or the major n- news, or outlet, your
1: local financial planner, or your
0: goldfish advisor, Don't then. Forget- Yeah, don't forget about me. You're not going to get get very good answers, okay? So now we've done the brain damage of at least- Well, you're
1: not going to get an answer that is coherent with reality. Well, or you're not going to, and
0: more importantly, you're not even going to be able to ask the right question to get the answer that will benefit you, right? Yeah. Getting answers presupposes that I can ask a question that matters, right? You only get answers to the questions you ask. Not, not, you can't get an answer that you, if you don't ask the right question, you can't get it correctly.
1: Okay. Yeah. If you don't know what map you're walking on, like does it doesn't really, you have no idea where you're going.
0: It doesn't help. All right. So with this, what are some of the questions we should be asking that we want to look for answers to? Jimmy, where do you want to well, start?
1: Well, let me, well, let's just start like when you and me first discovered this, cause we discovered it, we weren't besties yet, but I think we were kind of figuring this out at we the were, same time. We
0: were flirting. We'll say that. For yeah. We had a man crash and maybe we were flirting a little bit and uh, trying to figure out where this is going to go.
1: And then I went like, oh my God, this is, it's a rigged system. It's so unfair. Like, this is bullshit. And you know what that got me? Guess which line that got me on, on the K?
0: Down into the right.
1: The lower end. And yeah. so finally, I just had, a, I had like a flashback of my uncle, like when I was a kid. And me and my cousin fighting, and like my cousin punched me in the face, and I was angry. And my uncle was like, "Cause you know I come from a family of kind of Irish smartasses," and he was like, "What are you angry about? Like, don't get angry, just get even." Mm-hmm. And so that got me. I was just saying to myself, like, I can sit here, I can get angry, or I can get even, and I can just start playing the game the way it's being played. And- you don't get points for playing for being saying I'm playing the most fair game. No points allowed in that, and so you got two choices: you can get angry, or you can get even, and you can start playing the game and leveraging the system. And be so yes. Now, I- and, and no one will get on their soapbox
0: and le- yell louder about this than I will. Like, if you want to get in a debate to me about like Jimmy, like you said, I'm much more of a gold bug. I'm much more of a gold standard. I'm much more of wealth is created by by prices going down, the amount of specie doesn't matter. We'll just make smaller fractions of it. And we can always create enough and move it around. That's not an argument to me anymore. And in fact, the more productive we become as a society- Brad just
1: endures cryptocurrency, in case you were wondering. Anywho.
0: (laughs) But the more productive we get, the cheaper things should be because we're better at it. Like it should be easier to make stuff because we're smarter now, right? So things going up is not- a good thing.
1: we can do a whole podcast on the whole, the benefits of deflation.
0: But that's not what this is about. This is about right. saying, okay, I fully disagree with all of that. And I have a choice. I, I can again, opt out and get crushed by it, or I can figure out what the game is
1: and play it. Yeah. Right? You could go Mr. Money mustache and you could go get your food storage and you could go build a, a wigwam in the mountains of Utah. And you're a pretty, you know, well adjusted guy i'm sure that you'd be plenty happy up there and so
0: but what we are talking about here is let's be on the upper end of that k so jimmy knowing that money trickles through the economy differently and where the money trickles to how does one get in line first
1: you align you get yourself as close to those printing presses as possibly can okay so so let me let me tell a quick story of when all this was going down so yeah. One of my best friends is my brother-in-law, Ryan, and he's a, he's a home builder and he's a, a contractor and his business is booming right now, right? Yep. And my sister is a real estate agent. And so we're out on the boat this summer and Ryan understands ec- Austrian economics. He's probably still a little more tied into it with them than I am, but he was like seeing dark and I'm like, Ryan- like you're missing it, bro. Like your business is about to explode. Everybody's going to be liquid. Everybody's going to want to remodel their home. Like you need to work on your marketing, not solving society's inflationary Problems. issues. Like you got to make hay when the sun shines. Okay, so let's go, let's go through this. If, if money goes to banks
0: and gets lent first, I'm not a connected politician, so I'm not going to get that money. I can't and don't want to own a bank, so I'm not going to get the money there. But this conversation of how do we align, okay? One real simple way for the very average person to align is to buy real estate. Because one of the easiest things for a bank to lend on is the acquisition of an asset like real estate. All of it's already in place. We have five government agencies that have a standing order to lend to anybody without discrimination, even if they don't make any money, basically, right? So it's very easy to then say, look, I want some of that money to go buy this house, okay? And as we do that, we can then be the ones entering the market first rather than being the saver that's like, oh, everything, prices just went up 20%. I guess I better save more and then try to catch back up. Like we can get in front of that by having access to the assets that are then going to go up. I'd rather the asset than the cash because the asset goes up and the cash goes down. Right, yep. And then I'm always chasing my tail if I'm trying to just do it through cash. And that
1: debt, like if we look at the last 30 years, has the dollar gained strength or got less in value?
0: And, and there's plenty of evidence out there that it's about 98% deflated from when we went off the gold standard.
1: So that, last, that last 10 years of your 30-year mortgage, you're paying the government da- back with worthless dollars. With the inflated, because
0: now it's trickled through and everybody's wages have gone up, all of that. My income has gone yeah. up but my payment stays exactly the same.
1: Yeah, and so your rent is most likely going to go up. Now, it just, I don't know if your buying power is going to go up, but your expenses will go down because that bank wants their mortgage back and worthless dollars, which is why we think banks are suckers. Well, they're suckers
0: on the back end. They're super smart on the front end because they're they're getting the money before I even get it. Okay? Yeah. So what's another way though, Jimmy, you mentioned it with your brother-in-law, right? So the other way is eventually this money will work its way in and people will start like the stock market went up. Oh, cool. Since the stock market's going up, I don't need to save as much money. I can go spend it. That's the and whole that's, idea. So that's the, the other effect. part
1: of the, the Cantillon effect is people think they're wealthier and they're not.
0: So the wealth effect, this is now actually like toted as a thing that, that like ec- economics people should use to create public policy is, if I just make you feel wealthier, you'll spend more money. And by spent consuming, you'll protect us all. So, so those that are spurred to consumption, if I then also have a business that's first in line when somebody feels like they're wealthier, then now I can I can accept those dollars and bring them into my economy. Yes? Right. Okay, yes. So like you said, home renovation is one that's huge because everybody's like, oh, the first thing I want to do with my, my stimulus check or my tax return is remodel the kitchen, remodel the bathroom, right? That's one yeah, place and that both want to put money to it.
1: Yeah. My sister's nine years younger than me. So they're both 30. So all their friends, all their network are getting their forever home and you know, and they're, you know, having kids and they want to have their kitchen. Like yep. I'm like, bro, you can cry about this later, but you, the, you are sitting on a gold mine. Yep. So
0: so there's so there's that, okay? Um, one one thing we see is is education and coaching and those types of things, right? Somebody wants to learn a new skill. They, they have money. They want to make an investment in themselves, right? Those are great businesses to be out in front of. What would be other things that come to mind, Jimmy? Well, say there's like, going
1: to be a lot of real estate transactions happening. So real estate agents, real
0: estate. Yep.
1: Yep. Real Financial estate investors, advisors, mortgage brokers are killing. Our boy Peter Skaggs is killing it. it, it suckers in a trip in Mexico
0: right now. Okay. Right. So, so, another big thing to be aware of in inflation is a lot of people. Jimmy, notice we didn't mention everybody sh- that's listening to this should go buy gold. Does no. gold protect us from inflation? Let's talk about that for a second.
1: Yeah, it's a hedge. For
0: sure, okay? Because there's no more gold, or at least gold's not being created as fast as currency. So there are more dollars chasing roughly the same amount, same number of, of ounces of gold. So the price of gold should go up. But Jimmy, I've got one right here. I keep a gold piece here just to remind me of this concept. But this gold piece, it, it you know it's probably $1,500 right now. If it's magically worth $2,500, am I any wealthier?
1: No, you're going to, like, we've done a podcast on this. You're going to go buy a nice suit and a nice pair of shoes with it. Over the long run,
0: it's it's going to preserve my purchasing power, which is important when it comes to protection. But, Jimmy, at Cashflow Tactics, our primary objective is to help people become financially free in 10 years or less, not remain in a state of homeostasis, right? Yeah. Protecting wealth is key, but... W- if i had to focus if i'm broke if i'm not where i want to be financially if i still am trading my time for dollars if i'm not in if i don't own my time yet i am much more concerned about not just preserving the mediocre purchasing power that i have i'm concerned about creating wealth gold doesn't create any wealth you're not going to be richer than than you are now again over the long run barring short term and this is is why if you've ever asked yourself the question, well, if gold is so good, why is somebody selling it to me? Ah, It's because they figured this out. They realized that income, money flowing is one of the most important pieces to protecting against inflation. Because if I can be providing a valuable good and service that is in demand as prices change, mine can change along with it. And I can preserve not just my purchasing power of my savings, but I can protect my future streams of income as well. So well, those- Yeah, you got to get yourself on the top part of that K. And it's it's through owning assets, okay? And it's through production, being a productive member of society. Those two things in the right sectors are what can keep us on the upper end of that K.
1: Yeah. Agreed? And so I got another family story. So okay. my parents are retiring. And of course, and they're- plugged in enough to know that this is hurting them. Right. Yep. And so, you know, my mom of course is angry and I am just like, you can get angry or you can get even. Yep. And like the other, and my sister would be like, well, what should we be doing? I'm like selling, sell, 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 sell to whoever's near the printing presses, sell stuff to older people, sell stuff to retirees, sell stuff to uh lower income people who are getting welfare checks, sell, 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 create more value. Yes. Bring those new be on the
0: earlier end of the money coming into the economy, right? Don't wait until the very
1: end to get it in your social security payment, right? Yeah, but like watching Fox News every night and expecting to not get screwed is the least of all good options. Productive behaviors. Okay, here was a thought I had
0: as I was mulling on this that I wanted to bring up with you, Jimmy, okay? So I've got this feeling. So everybody's saying like, okay, if if i need to get into assets you know this is why the stock market has continued to outperform for the last 30 years because the government's continued to print money and money is seeking yield and so it goes into the stock market but i've got this sinking feeling and again i could be wrong cuz i'm just guessing right i'm looking for principles i'm looking for patterns i'm looking for frameworks but something in my gut is telling me this that i think the stock market is going to be severely negatively affected it's not going to be an asset class where this inflationary boom benefits it. And this is why. To me, it has nothing to do with the companies. It has nothing to do with future employment. It has nothing to do at all with the actual health of the economy. Because Jimmy, how long do you think it's been since the stock market has actually measured the health of the economy?
1: 100 years?
0: Decades. right? Well, never? At, like well, I, a really long time, but that's what we pretend, yeah. right? As the S&P goes, it's measuring the, the health, of the economy, but I look at it as this is, the participants in the stock market are going to be the determining factor. Like, cause we have supply and demand. Supply and demand right. is what determines price, right? We have a huge supply of dollars, okay? But will the demand remain strong in the stock market? And I have a couple of thoughts around this, but the fact that the greatest demand for Wall Street products comes from the excess savings of the middle class, right? Everybody's pre-programmed to put their money into their 401k account and leave it there for the next 40 years. So it stabilizes demand. It was brilliant by Wall Street to have a 40-year horizon on your retirement account (laughs) because money can only go one way for a really long time. But if the middle class is not on the upper end of the K recovery, which is becoming more and more evident all the time, right? Then what happens to the demand
1: for Wall Street products? I mean, they can keep goosing it. If all they're trying to do is, you know, say the S&P is a determinant of success, they can keep goosing it. But the buying... So the problem is... But, but can the,
0: everybody? Can the Federal Reserve, at least as it stands right now, go directly by the S&P 500 or shares of public companies?
1: Not today, but, but I'd say that's an option.
0: It, it is an option. So again, I could, I could be surprised by this, that they go directly by it. But right now, what they're trying to do is they're trying to give it to a bank and have your house go up in value so you feel rich enough to put money into your 401k. So this is like four orders of consequences down. And I think that, that demand is gonna dry up because we've got baby boomers retiring, needing their money out, okay? But then we've yep. got millennials who we all love to make fun of, who have crushing student debt who, and then are making $40,000 a year. Do you think those people are gonna step in and fund the stock market at the same levels that their parents and grandparents did.
1: No, I mean, that's already happening in real estate. Millennials do not buy. And so I think the millennials who are plugged in, like our boy 40, like he is going to run for the high hills whenever a traditional financial planner knocks on his door, says, hey, how you doing? Because he knows better, okay? Right, so I I do think, so the turd millennials, it's gonna be a K curve again. The turd millennials, if they make enough money, yeah, maybe they'll put it in the stock market, but I don't think they'll make enough money. And then there'll be like these uh, unheard of millennials just destroying it. Yep. So this idea of
0: your traditional financial advisor saying, "Well, you know, sure, we we should be concerned about inflation, but that's why we need to double down and, and be invested in the market because that's going to drive up the, the the prices of companies, and that's what's going to keep you safe." I really have a strong feeling that that's not going again, unless the Federal Reserve does something super crazy, which they absolutely can and probably will. Barring that, the stock market is not a safe haven because it's not representative of actual value being created. It's the perception of two people who are talking to each other and trading dollars. And that is going to shift and change dramatically. Right? Yeah. Okay. And then I had another question, right? If this appreciation, this inflation is not really our measure of getting wealthy. And that's starting to happen too as incomes are going up, stock market's going up, but people are not saying that they're feeling as wealthy. That's, that buzz is starting to wear off. Well, how do you measure inside of an inflationary environment the fact that you are actually getting wealthy?
1: Well, I, I had a buddy who actually, every transaction he did, he would convert it to gold. And so he would, he would basically be tracking his buying power. But like, that is, I'm not going to spend that much time doing that. Uh, to, to be honest with you, that is a excellent question. I would say it's tough because there's not a real measurement of how productive you are. It is
0: crazy
1: tough, right? It's like yep.
0: saying, it's like timing your 100-yard your dash time, but then changing the length of a foot or a meter, I guess,
1: in that, Right. Well, it's like, say, a 100-yard dash, you start bringing it in. So, of course, you're getting faster.
0: But am I really actually getting faster or did I just change the distance?
1: So No, so you would have to measure your velocity throughout the 100 yards.
0: What's the velocity in an inflationary world?
1: How fast your money is moving.
0: And I, I, would, I would argue the only way to measure whether your money is moving or not is whether you, what your cash flow is, your right. flow of
1: cash. Do you see how he did that, podcast listeners? He didn't use the Socratic method to bring me and you to his conclusion. He didn't say, "Hey, you dumb S.O.B.s, this is what you need to be thinking." He used the Socratic method of asking questions. Let you come to your
0: own conclusion, right? To me, which is my conclusion. (laughs) So that and that, as I as we really studied this, like, did were did rich people come out the backside of the inflationary Weimar Republic? Yeah. Yeah. Right. And get in all of these times that like I what I firmly believe that those that owned assets that always have had and will have value, and then those that had businesses that provided meaningful goods and services were the ones. Now, did that guarantee that you came out of it? No. But those that continued to get better, right, and had access to those and decided to do something about it are the ones that come out on the back end. That's why I where- love the measure of cash flow. As opposed to net worth,
1: because they're changing oh, the, depth, the, the
0: measurement for net worth.
1: And so, the what you're talking about, like, do you know the day I learned to not be afraid of inflation and to treat it like fire? When so I I was listening to an autobiography of uh, Cornelius Vanderbilt, so probably the richest dude ever before the Civil War, right? And so, when we went to greenbacks, pretty much taking us off the gold standard to fight the Civil War. The Austrian theory would say that all the wealthy people should have lost their mind and protested. And like, I hate you Lincoln. No, we're not fighting yeah, this war. Because right? they had
0: savings that they knew were going to be destroyed by it. Right?
1: Yes. That's not what they did. Nope. Oh. You know what they did? Went and borrowed they a bunch They doubled of money. down on their own businesses and they started selling things to the government. Yep. But there was no crying. There was no whining. It was, we're going into the civil war. Uh, I'm gonna sell things to people who are now liquid with these greenbacks. Yep.
0: And and that's the thing. If you're not in front of this on the upper end of the K curve, what's gonna to happen to you is you're not going to be able to afford the assets that are gonna protect you. Like it it will you'll wake up and it will surprise you the gap between saying, Okay, I, I'm ready to not spend all my money on lattes every morning and I'm ready to get after investing, but now it's we can't even make a difference. It's moving. You know, it's like running alongside a train. Eventually, it's going to be moving faster than you can work to keep up with it, to be able to jump over to it. So this is the thought I
1: had. Is well, then let me, let me, I, I'm going to cut you off on that one. Like, look, whether government's printing money, whether something other nefarious is happening, life's on a curve, dude. Like the parable, of the talents, how often every other podcast we bring this up. But to those who have more, more will will be given. It's the Pareto analysis, 80% of the wealth will always be held by 20. And then quite frankly, what is 80% of the next 20? Pareto principle really means 97.3. And so- Boil it all the way down. Yeah, you got two choices. You can sit and whine and say, this isn't fair. Like my five-year-old Tommy, we have two bad words in our family. It's weight, and of course all the common curse words, and fair. Like everything. He's like, that's not fair. And like, I, I-, I will wash your mouth out with soap. If you come to me, with an expectation that this house or life is fair. It's like, it's not fair that you live with us. It's not fair that you're an American. Like, so you could either, if you're, cause the Austrians, my problem with them is they're like, this isn't fair. Like, you know, everybody knows that. Like, so get on with it. Okay. So where, yes,
0: a thousand percent yes. Okay. And so where I was trying to wrap up my thought there though was, my initial reading when I started dive into inflation back in like 2004 was, I just need to buy a bunch of gold. I need to buy a bunch of real estate. I need to invest, 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 invest. Without answering the question, do I even have enough capital to make a difference in the first place? So what if I take my, you know, $8 an hour campus job, you know, doing, I did accounting for the, the, you know, like that doesn't matter. But what really keeps us in the cycle is income creation is what allows for borrowing, right? And then first access to new money. So those two things together, right? Allow my fact that I have income allows me to borrow and access the money and get the asset that goes up in value and then repeat the process and stay on an upward looping cycle up the, up the K curve rather than constantly be ground down that the other side of the curve.
1: Let me, let me back you up on that from like real hard experience. Like, so my, the tenants we work with are generally lower middle class, right? Uh huh. And so what I would say that my observation in the last five years is the difference between middle class and upper middle class and lower middle class is access to credit. Uh huh. Like get being able to get those FHA loans for your rentals or your own primary residence quite frankly is the difference between middle class and lower middle class. So that like I got plenty of experience in what you just said, like you got to meet that minimum threshold to be able to get those conventional loans to get access to credit
0: to be in the game at all. This is why it it it's a a huge part of our message is what we call the producer revolution and learning to be think inside of abundance and think inside of being productive. So okay. the
1: system's rigged and you can either cry about it or you can get on with it and start leveraging it. That's basically what the producer revolution is.
0: So, Jimmy, do we do we cut it here or do we add the the taxation side of the inflation conversation? Do we save that for another podcast? We're already uh,
1: 55 minutes in. I think we hammered on so many nails that my brain's getting we're, a little tired. But I would love to do that, that for the next podcast. So, what is the next podcast going to be? How... So mix taxation in with inflation, and then you're really screwed. And how it's a double tap
0: on this whole entire problem. That and this is like this to me would be the conversation of all right. We saw how kind of the lower and the middle class get crushed, but dude, the upper middle class is actually the biggest target. And the just like I said, the stock market I think has crosshairs on it. Okay, but I think it's the upper middle class who to this point have not been negatively affected over the last 30 years of government policy.
1: But well, it's to the me, highly the, paid next em- the highly paid employee has been getting crushed. They just don't know it.
0: They just don't know it, right? So they're yeah. still living in a fantasy land that they're going to get woke up to. And that's the other half of this conversation of taxation. So we'll save that for another podcast.
1: All right, so to land the plane. Yeah, man, it's an unfair system. It sucks. Yep. If you look around in nature, yeah, nature's beautiful. But a lot of things in nature can kill you too. So humans have been dealing with uh, unfair systems for around, what do you think, a million years? Since the existence of time. So, all right, everybody agrees that part of being a human is you have to deal with a rigged unfair system. And we all wish it wasn't that way, but it is. So you got to learn what you have to learn to make sure you flourish in this rigged system. Yep. And what
0: you need to learn if we're talking wealth I think we hit on three key points. Cash flow is the new measurement, not net worth. They're changing the metric. You're not as fast as you think you are. Cash flow is our metric. And then the the arrows in our quiver, we have to understand debt and taxes. To truly understand wealth today, we can't just understand savings like we could in the past. We have to understand debt and taxes, or it will crush us. That's why we spent an hour with you. Helping you understand the beginnings of one of those of uh, of debt, and we'll always continue to bring you this relevant, timely, very unpopular information because, well, it's fun for us.
1: But this podcast alone, quite frankly, is why traditional finances is just so bad because yeah. they're not even gonna they're not even gonna touch on this.
0: No, what who you think is a financial expert can't hang in this conversation because they're just a very. Tr-
1: Well, Well, Brad, you know, to learn this would take a lot of time. And like, I got new Netflix downloads to look at every day. And I got, you know, I've got tests to take so I can put initials after my name
0: that make you seem like I'm really smart and know what I'm doing. And the
1: the NBA starting back up again and hockey starting back up. So, like, anytime after seven to listen to a podcast or learn about this. And then there's ESPN radio, so I can't listen to a podcast while I'm uh, lifting or running when I do do my 20 minutes of, like, uh, generic granny curls. But, yeah, this is tough. All right. I think
0: we are officially (laughs) spiraling. So let's call it there. If you want to change this, the place to get started is you have to have a roadmap, and you have to know what is is. We designed a five-day challenge specifically to help you understand what is, is inside of your financial activities. So jump in the game, cashflowtactics.com forward slash challenge in five short days, 20 minutes a day. We will show you what is, is, and then open up the path for how to be on the upper end of that K curve. See you there if you've hey, not we- taken us up on that challenge. And we'll... uh Join us. Well, on here's the, the other thing,
1: Brad, you're not talking about like we still got 21 people on this Facebook live. You get access to the after show for coming in the free Facebook group.
0: All right. So that ends the podcast. Let's uh let's jump. Now we'll get into the real that. stuff. Brian says no one's got time for that. Eddie Alvarez. I know they are starting to buy. They are already making signals that they're just going to buy securities directly. Oh, my gosh. Could you could you imagine what the world is going to look like if. The Fed owns like 20% of the stock market. Like, oh my gosh. Hopefully you guys all enjoyed it. Get back to your day of being productive instead of uh, sedating. And uh, we'll, we'll talk to you guys next time.
1: Thank you so much for listening to the Rise Up Live Free
0: podcast. Do you want to connect with me and other empire builders who are on a mission to take control of their financial plans and become financially free in 10 years or less? Well, then join us in our private Facebook group where we get to go deeper into the topics of financial freedom. And it's the only place you can see the actual results of people on their path to financial freedom, learn what's working and interact as a community dedicated to becoming financially free. When you join, you'll get immediate access to exclusive training in a private membership area. This training will empower you in your path to becoming financially free and it will fast track your results. This is the only place you get access to this exclusive
1: content. So be sure to join us in the Facebook group now.
0: Just go to cashflowtactics.com forward slash group or head over to Facebook and search Cashflow Tactics to join. I look forward to you joining us next time on the Rise Up Live Free podcast.